Hello. So, a little while ago, I posted uh, a bullish little piece on Substack uh, in which I invited people to argue with me. Uh, well, someone took me up on that offer. So, here we are. Welcome to the first DEN debate. Um, just like with the DEN discussions, uh, the more they're more conversation-oriented, um, but just like them, uh, these debates will probably appear irregularly. Uh, this might even be the first, uh, the first and only one. Who knows? Anyway, I reiterate that invitation, and uh, I do hope that uh, you enjoy the following debate. But please do forgive any hiccups. Uh, I've tried to adopt a semi-formal structure with timings and such like, but this is my first time doing this. Anyway, this first debate uh, is with Harry McKenna, a student and writer and an old free speech champion's comrade. And it's on whether the US and its allies should have withdrawn from Afghanistan in 2021. So let's go. Hello there. Welcome to the DEN debates in which I, Daniel James Sharp, argue publicly with a guest on a subject of mutual disagreement. The debates are semi-formal in structure and are open to anyone who wants to attack me for anything I've written or said. The DEN debates are part of my substack, Daniel's DEN, on which, among other things, I also write, and to which, of course, I heartily recommend you subscribe. Now then, on to today's debate. Hello. So today, uh, I, this is the first instalment of the so-called Dayan debates, hopefully not the last. Um, and please bear with us throughout because this is the first time I'm doing this. Uh, it's kind of experimental. Uh, we're trying to do a sort of semi-formally structured debate. Uh, so hopefully... Uh, you know we can we can do it in quite a disciplined and effective way but if not just please bear with us. Uh, today uh, though I'm arguing with Harry McKenna who's a writer and an old free speech champions comrade of mine and we're going to be debating the question should the US and its allies have withdrawn from Afghanistan in 2021. Now, I say no, uh, Harry says yes now here's the, the sort of structure of the debate. We're going to have up to 10 minutes each to make our cases or our opening statements. And then we can have about, you know, up to 10 minutes again to respond to and ask questions of the other. And then we'll have a back and forth uh, for up to 30 minutes. We'll try and keep strict with, uh, with uh, you know, timings. And then finally, we shall have about up to five minutes to make some closing comments. So again, please do bear in mind that this is the first time I'm doing this here. And, uh, you know, it's just me and Harry on this on this recording. So uh, we're, we're just uh, trying to do our best with this format as best we can. To start off, though, we flipped a virtual coin before we started recording to decide the order. And first up is Harry. Uh, we decided that Harry should go first. Uh, so, Harry, welcome. Thank you. 
and uh, happy that you're here. And uh, please uh, begin your opening statement, your case, your argument uh, for up to 10 minutes, whenever you wish. Okay, Daniel, uh, thank you for the lovely intro. Um, I think it's worth pointing out that um, this debate was really sparked from one of your substacks, um, from the, you know, Daniel from the Den substacks, which uh, was about which you titled Afghanistan was and is worth fighting for. So in my argument and throughout, I'm, I'm, I will certainly be referring to bits of that, of what you've written in there. Um, so just to start off with, um, you know, the, regarding the way America or the allies withdrew from Afghanistan, there's, you know, there's no, in terms of the way they withdrew, there's no, in my opinion, there's no defense of that. Um, it was very incompetent from the from Biden, the Biden and the Biden administration. It could have definitely been avoided the way they did it. Um, you know, it's, it, it reminded you of, you know, of course, neither Daniel and I were alive inside the, uh, withdrawal from Saigon and Vietnam happened, but it it's probably the the most modern example of that, um, and of that of the humiliation of the of the withdrawal, um, and it could be uh, avoided if Biden had not ignored the intelligence and his military advice, um, and so. So that, that aspect of it, I, I can't defend. Um, I can't defend that bit. Uh, and, but it, it is interesting because he also, and in that sense, he disappointed the Allies by the way he withdrew. And because the Allies felt, especially in the Middle East and across the world, they felt that they felt that he was, Letting his his fellow allies, his Afghans, uh, Afghans and hum, uh, down, really not standing up for humanitarianism. Um, but the issue that I have, even though I've just said that I can't defend the way that Joe Biden um, would decided to withdraw from Afghanistan, I do defend his decision to withdraw. And I, in this first, um, in this you know seven and a half minutes, I'm going to explain why. And I would like to point out, and one of the reasons why I, I think Biden made the right decision, or you know, where what I would challenge Daniel. In fact, I would challenge Daniel to say that to, to come up with an answer to this. I know the people who listen to this to come up with an answer to this. What would, what was apart from withdrawing from Afghanistan, what was the alternative? Because the only from all the. Um, news um, and all the talking heads and all the opinion articles that have been written about the withdrawal, I've only ever seen two, two um, perspectives, i.e. withdraw from Afghanistan like Biden did or just stay at Afghanistan indefinitely. The people who are against Biden withdrawing from Afghanistan have got, as far as I can tell, got no other um, solution. Their, their, their own solution is to stay in Afghanistan for the next 20, 30 years. Um, so how, how would, I've never, I've not seen anyone else, uh, any of the people critical of Biden, uh, explain how they would extricate the US from Afghanistan. Then you've got, and then, you know, 
I think it was important to extricate the US from Afghanistan because it was becoming a prolonged war. It was because, you know, the very nature of Afghanistan and its um, landscape and also its inhabitants meant it was very much like a guerrilla warfare. The, the Taliban and the Al-Qaeda would sneak, would um, disappear into the landscape or they would just blend in with the inhabitants. So it was very difficult to, to, uh, to distinguish between normal Afghans or an Al-Qaeda or Taliban. And then... After America did not understand the ethnic aspect of it, of the ethnic aspect of the country, you know, and that is not just the case in Afghanistan, but it's also the case in Iraq and other countries. And um, so it's very much coming, uh, becoming like risking of becoming like another Vietnam, where there's no end in sight. And I think America has not let, despite America withdrawing from Afghanistan, it's not learned its lesson because. You can still see aspects of that in terms of the response to Ukraine, because there's no Biden said. I'm not quoting Biden directly here, but Biden said basically we America are going to help Ukraine indefinitely until and so basically giving Ukraine a blank check. So yes, Ukraine America have not put boots on the ground per se, but they're still involving themselves in a in a prolonged conflict, prolonged war, and this and that conflict is even more dangerous. Um, because of Russia and potentially China, who are now helping Russia in that conflict. Now, the next, the other reason why um, I think uh, America would like to withdraw from Afghanistan in 2021 is because of, in terms of the humanitarian aspect of it, is because, yes, as Daniel points out in his um, in his Substack article about the Afghanistan uh, withdrawal on the anniversary, which he wrote on the anniversary of the withdrawal, he points out yes that America's withdrawal has been, meant that the Taliban have come, come back to power and have reinstated a brutal theocracy, which is you know has a horrible human rights record, treats women abhorrently, that treats members of the LGBT community abhorrently. Yes, that is all true. And yes, it's in humanitarian, you know, from a humanitarian aspect, it's horrible to see that. But look at all, and, you know, I'm just going to be truthful here. Compared to Western values or Western morality, a lot of the countries in the Middle East are like that. A lot of the countries in the Middle East are root of theocracies or treat women poorly or treat LGBT people partly. So, what what would what would you have America do or Britain do? Just invade all these countries that have, don't share Western values to protect human rights? I don't think that's a sustainable. Yes, it's yes, it's horrible to see that, but that's not a sustainable foreign policy because it will mean just America and West and Britain getting involved in incessant wars. Now, regarding um, you know. The, the article that Daniel wrote um, on the one-year anniversary of America's draw from Afghanistan, he referenced, um, it was just, when he wrote it, it was just after the uh, the, the death of Al-Qaeda Al -Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zahari by US drone striking people. Now, Daniel, in, this, in the substack, says that basically, uh, and I, the substack is free to read, um, so I, I encourage everyone to go and read the sub, this substack in question. But 
to summarise what I well what I think the implication from this part of Daniel's uh, Substack is is that Daniel's implying that because Al Zahari was in Kabul after America's withdrawal, then you know America not achieved their objective to make sure Afghanistan that Afghanistan can never be used against uh, against much attack on our homeland, our homeland being America. So I take up, I object to this because because of Pakistan. And, and the reason I object to it because of Pakistan is because you can't, for, from the moment America invaded Afghanistan in 2001, the Taliban fighters and Al-Qaeda went into Pakistan and they hid in Pakistan for years. And the, until America withdrew from Afghanistan in 2021, they continued to do that. That's just a fact. And the most blatant example of this is the fact that um, a, a, Osama bin Laden was living in Pakistan. Um, I think like one mile from Pakistan's military academy. And the Pakistanis never told the American government of this. So you can't, so the only way to really beat to the Taliban and Al-Qaeda for good would be to invade Pakistan. And that's just quite frankly a silly idea because Pakistan ostensibly are an ally of America and Britain and Pakistan are a nuclear power. Also, as you can see, if you do some research and look at the regional tensions at the moment between Pakistan and India, China also close allies with Pakistan and China have come to Pakistan's aid. So, you know, they the, basically it's it, I think I I believe it's rather reductive to say that you know the fact that America um the fact that that America um you know, withdrew from Afghanistan and then Al Zahari was in Kabul means that America's mission failed is a bit reductive because they can never have truly and indefinitely defeated the Taliban or Al Qaeda without combating Pakistan, which was just not, which is and was not feasible, feasible because of the reasons I've explained. And it's not out the fact that Al Zahari and other Al Qaeda members are now walking around the Kabul is not because is not necessarily because America was driven um, from Afghanistan, it's because many aspects of the Taliban and many aspects of the Pakistan government are, are sympathetic to the Taliban and sympathetic to these extremist ideologies. The next part is, and then I, I know I'm a bit over the 10 minutes, Daniel, but I'll just quickly sum, summarise my final part of my argument. No problem, go on. So the foreign policy, I believe wholeheartedly that foreign policy for instance, UK foreign policy or British or American foreign policy should be about what is in that particular in that particular nation's interests, as in what is in America's interests. And if you whatever's in America's interests, that's how you should conduct foreign policy. Now, <laughs> I will ask a very serious question, and this is not being me being facetious or me being obtuse. Were and the question is this. Were America 
and Britain all and Europe any safer by being in Afghanistan? That's a serious question. Because if you look at yes, even before America yes, yes, even before America entered um Afghanistan, obviously 9-11 happened, obviously the attack on the World Trade Center happened, obviously the attack on the USS Core happened. But since America invaded Afghanistan, it's there's been many more terror events around the world, in particular in America and the UK, since that happened. That being there has you again in the Substack article that that um, really sparked this debate, that Daniel says. You know, Daniel makes the argument that really to be America needs to be in Afghanistan to stop attacks on our homeland. Well, America's been America and Britain and their allies have been in Afghanistan for the past twenty years, and yet there've been an incredible amount of attacks on Britain, on the UK, or on um, US, while America's been in Afghanistan. So. Yes, America. Yes, for the record, America would like to go into Afghanistan to try and capture Osama bin Laden. But I think it's a bit silly to suggest that being in being in America, America being in Afghanistan, would stop Al Qaeda terrorists or Al Qaeda inspired terrorists from attacking targets in the UK or America. And therefore, it's, I, I don't see how it's necessarily in America's interest to, or Britain's interest, to stay in Afghanistan indefinitely. Thank you. Uh, sorry for going a bit over time. Thank you. Thank you, Harry. Yes. Um, apologies, I was just taking some notes there, but so was uh, what you were speaking. No worries. Um, Yes, so in the interest of fairness, uh, by my reckoning, that was about 13 minutes, 46 seconds. Yeah. So I'm going to try and stick to 10 minutes again. But uh, if I do go over by that amount, then I think in all fairness, that's uh, allowable. Yeah. yeah, no worries. Sorry about that. <laughs> so there's lots lots in Harry's um, statement there that I want to come back to. And I'll do that when we move on to rebuttals. But right now, let me... Um, simply make my case from scratch. So here I go. So, I mean, th th there are two ways I could argue this. There's one way that I could say very narrowly that yes, Afghanistan was in pretty bad shape before the Taliban took over again. Um, and yet anything is better than re-established Taliban rule. And I would say that, I would agree with that statement. Uh, but I would actually like to frame it a bit more broadly. I'd like to say that Afghanistan, however much uh, in bad shape it was under the Islamic Republic government, especially relative to the developed world, had achieved uh, so much since 2001 with the help of the US and its allies. And to make this case, we have to go back a little bit. Uh, we have to go back to before October 2001, when the uh, US invaded. We have to look at the Taliban regime, the original Taliban regime. Uh, 
Now, before October 2001, Afghanistan was ruled by quite possibly, actually not quite possibly, actually one of the most vile regimes to have ever afflicted a population in human history. Now, you know, the list of their crimes is almost uh, endless. So I'll just mention a few. They destroyed the Taliban. They destroyed the ancient Bamiyan Buddhas because they were pre-Islamic. They banned music. They persecuted non-Muslims or Muslims of the wrong kind, uh, even making Sikhs and Hindus wear badges to differentiate them from Muslims in Kabul. And of course, they gave Al-Qaeda a base, a completely free reign from which to launch their jihad, which ultimately aimed at creating a regional, if not actually a global caliphate. And this, let us never forget, allowed Al-Qaeda to launch the single worst atrocity on US soil since the Civil War. And all of this is not even to mention the Taliban's subjugation and enslavement of half the population, where women were suffocated under burqas and stoned to death in public for immodesty or for sexual transgressions and were completely banned from education and from public life. As the UN, as the director of the UN Development Programme's uh, Human Development Report Office put it in 2001, in most aspects, Afghanistan is worse off than almost any country in the world. And as we know, it was from the Taliban's Afghanistan that bin Laden, as I said, launched the September 11th, 2001 attacks. And it was because Mullah Omar refused to hand bin Laden over that the US invaded. So what can we say about the US's legacy in Afghanistan over these 20 years that they were involved? Now, I, as much as anyone could name, countless mistakes and crimes, countless horrors inflicted by America in Afghanistan and countless strategic and tactical mistakes. They launched clumsy raids uh, and accidentally killed far too many civilians. They failed to build up a substantial Afghan army between 2001 and 2005. They slept while the Taliban geared up for a massive counter-offensive in 2006. They were too afraid to be seen to be interfering to call out Hamid Karzai and his tribal allies for alienating non-Durani, Pashtuns and other Afghans. And these mistakes allowed the Taliban to return in force in 2006 and eventually in 2021 to retake the entire country. But on the other side of the ledger, what do we have? We have Afghanistan's first democratically elected leader and parliament, its first peaceful transition of power, its first free press, seats reserved for women in parliament and in provincial politics. Uh, we have women lawyers and judges and politicians. We have astonishingly huge amounts of international aid and building efforts. We have millions of refugees returning, returning after the Taliban's ousting. We have the percentage of girls in primary school surging to over 80% in 2021. 
In 2019, girls received more years of education than any Afghan, any Afghan 20 years before. And the maternal death rate declined by 60% from 2002. These are just a few statistics. I could mention more. For example, life expectancy rose from 56 to 65 between 2001 and 2018. In 2002, newborns had a one in four chance of dying before the age of five, compared to 2020, when 94 out of 100 survived to the age of five. Now, these are not insignificant results. These are huge, huge revolutionary advances in human well-being and prosperity. So for all the flaws, for all the mistakes, and for all its strategic reluctance in some ways at some times to be fully engaged in Afghanistan, here is what the US tried to do. They tried to build a modern, prosperous, functional, democratic state. And they achieved a hell of a lot in that time that they were trying to do this. Now, yes, corruption was rampant. Yes, a centralised political system was probably not the best uh, way to go. A federal structure would have probably been a better way to organise the state. But billions upon billions in aid and reconstruction and development, with all the benefits that we've seen from those statistics, that those billions upon billions uh, allowed to happen. And a democracy, flawed, yes, but a democracy. And the emancipation of Afghan women, all of those achievements just tossed aside by Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And what do we see when the, after the US withdrawal? We see tens of thousands trying to flee. We see people clinging to the underside of aircraft as the Americans leave Kabul airport, only to fall to their deaths a few moments later. We see, the, we see that women are once more serfs in Afghanistan. We see Afghanistan facing economic and humanitarian catastrophe, and we see that Al-Qaeda is back, unashamedly, openly, in Kabul. Now, given all this, even if the US had kept just a small presence in Afghanistan and did nothing more, I believe that the Afghanistan and the world would have been much, much better off. Let me quote Maryam Durrani, uh, an Afghan politician activist. In 2018, as the Taliban gained ground uh, and as peace talks were beginning to uh, be undertaken between the US and the Taliban, she said, women need the United States. The Taliban cannot be trusted. In 2022, the UN Development Programme said, among other things, that the Taliban have been erasing development gains achieved over the past two decades. Now, that's enough to say that the, the intervention uh, encouraged, you know, encouraged and helped uh, Afghanistan to make significant strides, and these have just been completely wiped away now. You know, what hope is there for the continued uh, fall in the maternity uh, in, the, in the maternal mortality rate under the uh, under the Taliban regime, you know what what are the prospects for uh, female emancipation now? What are the prospects for stability as uh, Al Qaeda and uh, the Pakistan Taliban uh, continue 
uh, you know, to to side with the Afghan Taliban and to be uh, given their support by them. And as Islamic State continues uh, to uh, mount its own jihadist uh, campaign against the Taliban regime, you know, this is not a stable situation. You know, this is a situation where it's every faction is a jihadist and terroristic fashion, a faction. And uh, I don't think that's stable. I don't think the Taliban brings any kind of stability to Afghanistan. And I don't think it protects the West either uh, to have all of these regimes, uh, all of these factions uh, competing against each other. I think it's a very dangerous and unstable situation. But I would, I would, I would go even further. That was a bit of an aside. I would go even further. I would say there was real hope in Afghanistan. Because what one must bear in mind is that the task taken upon itself by the US and by its allies in Afghanistan was nothing short of breathtakingly ambitious. So of course it was going to take a long time. Of course there were going to be mistakes. Of course there was going to be unevenness. Now having treated Afghanistan deplorably in the past, the US had and has a moral obligation there. I believe that if it had stayed and if it had learned from its mistakes over the past two decades, then in time, perhaps the grand ambition of a prosperous and free Afghanistan could have been realised because we have already made so much progress. Afghanistan had already made so much progress and that could have been continued. And uh, all the US had to do was stay and stick by the Afghan people. And perhaps eventually they could have withdrawn and left a strong democratic Afghanistan to its own devices. But instead, Trump and Biden, culpable both, left Afghanistan and the people of Afghanistan to vicious theocrats once more. Now, that's the strongest version of the argument I would make. Um, but as I said, I would say that even a small US presence, as, as we saw you know, before the US withdrew, even a relatively tiny US presence preventing the return of the Taliban and propping up the Afghan government would have been better. Now, personally, I would have preferred the long-term counterinsurgency strategy of General Stanley McChrystal to have been implemented for longer. Uh, you know, it had great success during the surge in the Obama years, um, but was thereafter abandoned. I think that would have been the way to go. And yes, that would have required uh, indefinite commitment. And I accept that. So in short, Afghanistan with the US, and especially with the US making good on its promises and commitments, would have been would be infinitely better than the hell, the utter hell Afghanistan has been turned into by the withdrawal. Now I could go into more detail as to why staying would have made the rest of the world safer too. And that's one of the things Harry, of course, brought up. Um, but actually and call me an idealist, but that's not really what I want to focus on here. I only want to say, ultimately, that the US should have stuck with the mission and should have stuck with the Afghan people as they struggled ever more courageously towards liberty. Instead, it completely abandoned them. The people who had died and bled in their tens of thousands left them to suffer and rot under a bunch of miserable medieval fanatics. Again, again, they did this. I think that is, I think the withdrawal from Afghanistan was one of the most shameful actions of US foreign policy in a long, long time. 
And that's all I would like to finish upon. I suppose I should, uh, I suppose having said all that, I need to now move us on to the next portion, which is Harry now has up to 10 minutes to, to uh, rebut or question whatever I said there, and then I will be able to question him on his opening statement. So Harry, if you if you would like to yeah. take it away. No, I was um, just finishing making notes, 30 seconds, if necessary, we can edit the split out. Um, yeah. Should I do a song? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, okay. So, Daniel uh, made a very impassioned argument there. And as Daniel uh, admitted, uh, self-confessed, he's an idealist. And so therefore, in a sense, we may be coming at, well, I think we are coming at, at this question from two very different lenses, um, which throughout American history in particular have been very hard to reconcile. He's an idealist and I'm more, in terms of foreign policy, more of a realist. Um, so, or more, you know, believe that countries should use, uh, dictate their foreign policy based on their own interests. But having said that, I'm going to address some of uh, Daniel's points, or try to. So, yes, the Taliban are... Sorry, sorry, just to interrupt briefly, yeah. um, I should say that also during this portion, you can ask questions to me yeah. and I can respond. Cool. And also when I begin, I can do the same. Just Yeah, yeah no, it's cool. So, um, so I'm gonna in this in this um, ten or so minutes, I'm gonna try and try and report and try and ask some questions about Daniel's position and Daniel's opening statement. So, Daniel, yes, of course. Um, once again, yes, the, the, the Taliban is a vile regime. Um, I don't think there's many people on this planet who would who would not agree with you on that. And you know, in particular, the you know the images when. Um, during the American withdrawal, when you know that you know Afghans were trying to clamber over the fences, uh, like the American military bases, and you know, literally throwing babies over the fences. That's those were harrowing images, and you'd have to be a robot not to be moved by them. But again, again, going back to going back to my own my own opening statement. These, you know, the, this theocratic regime that the Taliban has reinstated, these horrible, horrible, abhorrent, you know, policies and values they stand for, are not unique in the Middle East. You know, for instance, going back to the whole debate about, this may seem like a bit of a tangent, but bear with me, please, ladies and gentlemen. But... Going back to the whole debate that people may remember back in, you know, well, in November, October, about, you know, whether Qatar should have ever had the FIFA World Cup. Uh, because, and the, that question was because of the their treatment, horrible treatment of migrant workers, and the horrible treatment of LGBT people, and the horrible treatment of women. And I'm going to refer, to, refer um, you to an article that Piers Morgan wrote about the Qatar World Cup and why 
this there's hypocrisy here because in terms of countries like Senegal, Morocco, Tunisia, it's illegal to be homosexual, just like it is in in, um, in now Afghanistan with the Taliban, in Ghana who were in the World Cup, you know, it, the people are going to uh, are, have prison sentences for if you express sympathy towards gay people. In Cameroon, you can currently um, prosecute can you know, they can prosecute consensual same sex conduct more aggressively than almost any country in the world. And and in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia win the World Cup. If you're in Saudi Arabia, if you're caught in a gay act, you can be chemically castrated, given life imprisonment, or even executed. So the point I'm trying to make, the point that Piers Morgan was trying to make is yes, these problems in Qatar are horrible, but they're not unique. And the problems in Afghanistan are not unique. Yes, they're horrible, they're atrocious, but they're not unique to the Middle East. They're not unique to the world. So my so one of the questions that I'm gonna ask you in the that you can answer uh, in a few moments, and Daniel, is if, if you think Afghanistan, if you think America or Britain should have stayed in Afghanistan to protect the Afghanistan pe Afghan people from this horrible, atrocious, horrific regime, then why do you not think that America, then, so, then surely you think, surely you're going to be advocating for America to invade Saudi Arabia or Cameroon or Qatar to stop these, to stop the horrible policies that they're in, implementing against um, LGBT people or, you know, women. So, you know, surely, surely you would support an American invasion of those countries as well. Um, then, you know, regarding, I think it's important to remember, Daniel, that, that one of the reasons why you know, I remember about Afghanistan's history and that Afghanistan has historically been a puppet regime for other countries, such as Russia, going back to the 19th century of Britain. And that really is one of the reasons why, you know, the Taliban became so, and other ethnic factions became so um, prominent because they were tired of, one of the reasons is they were tired of what they perceived as foreign influence and foreign interference in their country. And, being, and they were tired of being a puppet country um, for you know external powers yeah you know and I, I again going back to my original point that i've just challenged you on it's not enough base yes these are horrific but in my opinion again this is where you know i our different worldviews our different ideologies if you like come into play but i don't feel that, that these horrific human rights abuses um that the taliban are you know are perpetrating is enough basis for a prolonged and indefinite conflict, especially when these horrible human rights abuses are not unique to Afghanistan and are quite frankly widespread throughout the Middle East and Africa as well. Um, yeah. So again, briefly talking about Trump, you mentioned Trump. Yeah, yeah. For, in terms of what he did in the Middle East, in my opinion, he was trying to create a peace in the Middle East um, in what more widely, not just in terms of Afghanistan, but more widely. Um, and, which, and the Middle East, all the way back to you know, the 1960s, and well, even the 1950s, has been a powder keg in for America and, the Mid and Britain. has been like this unsolvable mystery. How do you solve the Middle East? How do you solve these different ethnic tensions? 
And I think especially with Abraham Accords, that's what Trump was trying to do, was trying to bring peace and make and stability to the Middle East so America no longer had to um, invade or, you know, put boots on the ground and, and really solve that powder keg. Okay, then you then you mentioned, um, Daniel, you mentioned Taliban does not bring um, stability to Afghanistan. There's different factions competing. Um, and it, and that doesn't mean, and the fact different factions that compete in, the different different ethnic factions competing mean that it, you know it's not Afghanistan's not stable and it ferments extremist groups and extremist ideologies, and that's not and that means it's not safe for the West. Um, well, again, I'd like to point you to well point one thing out and then ask you a question that you can answer that uh, hopefully you'll answer in a, a few minutes. The the point is that there are ethnic tensions that. You know that are being that are you know widespread in Afghanistan currently between Sunni, Shia, between the different factions, are not unique to Afghanistan. They are widespread throughout the Middle East. In they are what, for instance, in Iraq, in Iran, in Saudi Arabia, um, in Turkey, you know, in Lebanon, you know, in you know, I can name a whole load of other countries. Um, and the question I asked to, to this is this, um, the, the question I was going to ask you is this. So if, if, if by leaving uh, Afghanistan, it means that there's no, that the Taliban comes in to create this instability, which then ferments these extremist ideologies and extremist groups and encourages them to grow, then if that, and therefore by implication, but what you're implying is that by America being in Afghanistan, it means that they, we, they help to bring stability to the country. Stability to the country and help to um, centralise it and help to moderate the country and therefore reduce the, amount, the extremist groups, the extremist ideologies in the country. Now, if that is the case, then again, going back to my opening statement, I'd like to ask you, Daniel, then why? During the you know twenty year um, well nineteen twenty years that America were in Afghanistan, why did America uh, and Britain and Europe in general actually experience multiple, numerous, hundreds of terrorist attacks on you know in Britain, in America from Al Qaeda terrorists or Al Qaeda inspired terrorists? If America being there created stability and reduced extremism and reduced terrorism why was that the case during that 20 years um then you know you go again um your one of your final points or one of your final states was if america had stayed in afghanistan in time you said in time that you know it, this flawed government um could have flourished you said that the Americans should have, America and Britain should have stayed and stuck by the Afghanistan people. My question, very simply, and you said, and you said very vaguely, and I'm going to ask you very, I want a specific, if you may, specific answer this, because you, you gave um, a very vague uh, assertion or, or response to this. How long for? Because you said in time or, in, you know, in America could stay indefinitely, but how long specifically? Um, because I think that that's the crux of the argument. How long can we American really stay in these countries? And finally, going on to one of my final points is 
this. You said, and, and I'm trying to quote you directly here, Daniel, you said, if America stayed stayed and propped up the Afghan government. Now, I'm using that quote or picking out that quote because if the Afghan government, the which by your own mission was a, was a flawed government, a flawed democratic government, but nonetheless a flawed government, if that government had had widespread popular support, then would America, widespread popular support, would America or the allies really need to prop it up? And that's an uncomfortable question, a very uncomfortable question, but it's a question that needs answering. And the question is this, did the Afghan government, the democratically elected Afghan government, have popular support? It may have had, and you, and Daniel, you may point to some polling, but as you point out, and as many people point out, Afghanistan is a very under, underdeveloped country. And even when America were in that, was in Afghanistan, it was a very underdeveloped country. And so Poland is unreliable. It may be reliable in Kabul, but does it does the Poland speak for the countryside where many millions of Afghans live? Does it, does the Poland represent the many millions of people who live in the countryside in the rural areas? Is it reliable for those areas? So that's my question. Were, was, you know, if, if America had to, if, if, you know, for the um, Afghan government, democratically elected Afghan government to survive and to continue, if, if that was, for that to happen, if America had to stay in Afghanistan, then did, did the Afghan government have popular support? And that's an uncomfortable question because, yes, we, I stand for democracy and you stand for democracy, but did it have the popular support? Did the democratically elected government have popular support? So that that is my rebuttal to your uh, to your opening statement. I'll hand over to you, Daniel. Well, I kind of wish you hadn't been able to go first because now I have to answer a lot of things <laughs> compared to you. But okay, so to start to to start from the uh, pardon me, let me reset my timer. Okay, to start from your uh, from the last point, um, yes, I said uh, propped up the Afghan government. However, you will notice that I said even if that was uh, the only uh, possible situation, then yes, the US should have stayed and propped up the Afghan government. So I wasn't. I, I was simply saying that that would have been better than what came after. Um, but even 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 despite that, I would say, yes, you know, the failures of the Afghan government over the past two decades and of the U.S. intervention uh, certainly um, uh, undermined the legitimacy of the U.S. intervention. And you may question this, as you said, you you may quite you may question this this polling. Um, and you're very welcome to, but I take it from a very reputable source and from somebody who is actually pretty critical now of the intervention. I'm taking this from Carter Mulcazian's uh, history of the Afghan war. He was actually a US um, uh, officer, soldier in, in Afghanistan for a while. Um, he cites a poll that in 2018, in 2018, 55% of Afghans still supported US presence there. 
Now that might not sound like much, but given the context of 2018, that's uh, quite incredible. Um, so yes, maybe the Afghan government didn't have as much legitimacy as it should have had. And I would be the first to say that yes, uh, so many mistakes were made uh, and you know, by Hamid Karzai and Ashraf Ghani, uh, they, they threw away any legitimacy that they had. Um, nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, democracy broadly was still supported in Afghanistan. And again, as I said, you can you can look at the polls, you can you can question the legitimacy of those polls, but these these are reputable reputable sources uh, covering all of Afghanistan, not just Kabul. Um, and so, yes, we should have stood by those people. We should have stood by them rather than abandoning them to, to persecution and theocracy. So that, that's, that's what I would say in answer to that question, is that, yes, it would have been worth staying. Now, another question you asked, I believe, let me flip my notes over here. Uh, you said, how long... Me, how long should we have stayed? Well, you said I didn't really answer that. You, you said, how long should we have stayed? And you said that I vaguely answered that. I didn't actually. I said indefinitely. I said that we should have stayed indefinitely, which is not vague at all. That's uh, a pretty specific answer. So I would uh, push back on that. And I would defend that by saying, again, how much better Afghanistan would be, the Afghan people would be, um, because of us staying indefinitely, simply by ensuring that the Taliban didn't take over the country again and that the democratic government, however imperfect, was, uh, you know, to remain in power. As, if we ensured that, things would be much better. And now, and now we just have an Afghanistan on the brink of utter humanitarian and financial collapse you know there, it's just it's just it's inconceivable to me that anyone could argue that that you know now like withdrawing would not was was as better than just remaining and even even as i said my weakest case is simply that even with a small u.s force as there was until 2021 a couple of thousand that was enough to prevent the Taliban takeover. Now, in the past, in, in the in the in the last few years of the presence in Afghanistan, the casualties for US and coalition forces were very low, um, and it didn't cost nearly as much as it did earlier on. And if that was all there was, then yes, why not keep going with that? Because it didn't cost much, and it prevented the Taliban from returning. It wasn't, you know, by, by, by 2017, 2018, it just was not a big cost in lives or money. And yet, it was just completely thrown away. And now you say Trump, Trump just wanted peace in the Middle East. Well, I think you're letting Trump off a bit too easily there. Um, you know, I mean, ultimately, the, the culpability for the Afghan withdrawal lies with Biden because it happened under him, and he chose to pursue that course. But let's not let Trump off too lightly, because it was, you know, he was desperate to leave Afghanistan. 
And uh, the peace talks that he set up simply allowed, you know, he said, we want to leave anyway. Um, so we're not going to give you, a, we're not going to give the Taliban a timetable for when we leave. We're not going to use our presence as leverage in negotiations. It's just, we're going to leave whatever happens. So he completely abandoned any um, diplomatic leverage that he might have had. And, uh, you know, that that was, you know, a very bad deal, as Trump might say. But he just wanted to leave. Just He just wanted to go. Uh, so he was the motive force behind the withdrawal, ultimately. Um, so do not let him off too lightly. Uh, but again, I would I would reiterate that Biden uh, ultimately was the one who chose to leave Afghanistan, and therefore the ultimate fault lies with him. Now, I'm trying to remember your other questions. Let me look at my notes. Okay, so you said what what was the alternative? That was one of the questions you asked me. Well, I think I've already answered that. I said the alternative was simply to stay with at least, at least, at the very least, a small force, which did not cost much in lives or money, and which would have stopped the Taliban from returning to power. That was the alternative, that, or one of the alternatives. Now, personally, if I was commander-in-chief of the US Armed Forces, I would have... Uh, you know, long, long ago, uh, during the Obama administration, I would have uh, continued McChrystal's uh, um, counterinsurgency strategy, which would have been a long-term commitment. But if we're talking about 2021, then yes, the alternative was simply to stay with a small force for however long it may take. And if that's what we need to defend ourselves from the resurgence of um, one of the most retrograde forces on the planet, which also hosts one of the most uh, terroristic forces on the planet and which allows them free reign uh, to launch attacks, then yes, I would say that was worth it. Now, as for the... Now, one of the things you brought up in your own um, speech was um, you say that... uh, you know, Zawahiri's presence in, in Kabul was not a, an indication that uh, Al-Qaeda was, was a threat to us anymore. Well, I completely disagree, because even if you accept that, you know, uh, and uh, as I would, that Pakistan, you know, gave succor to Taliban and Al-Qaeda members um, for the past 20 years, um, that was all they did. And as dangerous as that was, it was not as dangerous as allowing um, Al-Qaeda to be completely open um, guests of a a resurgent Taliban regime. You know, they're not just in hiding and being given a bit of support from Pakistan. They are now in the heart of Afghanistan, a nation state, which is quite rich in resources and which, uh, and their, their hosts, possess billions of dollars worth of the most advanced American weaponry because of the withdrawal. You know, even if we could never have completely defeated the Taliban or Al-Qaeda, the situation where they were on the run is much preferable from our own 
safety point of view than having them now openly um, operating in Afghanistan without challenge. And as to the question of, of you know, yes, we've had a lot of terror attacks since uh, the invasion of Afghanistan. Of course we have. Um, this is never a force that could easily or quickly be defeated. But what we've never had is anything like 9-11. Nothing on that scale has ever happened. Now, do you think that would have been the case if uh, Afghanistan had, had been home to Al-Qaeda for uh, the past 20 years, where Al-Qaeda was allowed to roam unchallenged for the past 20 years? I don't think so. Um, you know, they, if they had the resources of a nation state, however impoverished and corrupt, for the past 20 years, I think the chances of a massive attack like that would have been much higher. And that's one of the reasons why the intervention succeeded, is because they pre prevented such uh, an attack on such a scale happening again. And now, now, now that we have... Um, now that the Taliban is back and that Al-Qaeda is back in their arms, uh, we have good reason to believe that Al-Qaeda now has the capability to launch operations, massive operations, once more. As Professor Barbara Elias said in a foreign policy article in 2021, I think, um, she cited some intelligence that... Uh, Al-Qaeda is now in a position to launch attacks against the US homeland, as it were, um, by 2023. That's this year. Maybe, maybe that will turn out to be wrong. And I hope it does. But the fact that that's even possible is a condemnation of the argument that um, being in Afghanistan would have um, prevented such an attack. You know, now that attack is possible, which it wasn't before when the US and others were involved in Iraq, uh, pardon me, in Afghanistan. Um, you know, this is, this is not something to be dismissed completely. So uh, I'm cognizant that um, I'm running out of time here. So I think I've answered most of those questions and we can get into those issues in the back and forth that we're about to embark upon. Um, but see, I didn't really have time to write down any questions for you, um, though I do have some, but uh, I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, in terms of the, well, actually, here's one question, actually, because um, you say that Pakistan I mean, I've already kind of discussed this. Pakistan, you know, you know, gave succor to Al-Qaeda and the Taliban for a long time. Um, but actually now the situation has kind of changed because uh, the Taliban, as in the Afghan Taliban, is now, you know, kind of in league with the Pakistani Taliban. And the Pakistani Taliban wants to overthrow the Pakistani state. And that's why Pakistan has kind of distanced itself from the Taliban regime in Afghanistan now. Um, so actually, it's not quite as simple as saying that Pakistan is always going to be, um, you know, uh, an obstacle in uh, defeating the Taliban or Al-Qaeda, because now, um, you know, they're actually kind of uh, afraid <laughs> of the Taliban because they host the Pakistani Taliban, which wants to overthrow uh, the state. 
so now they're a bit, you know, they're they're not quite as quite as keen on the Taliban as they used to be. Um, so I would I would simply note that in response uh, as another response to some of the points that you raised. But I realise that I'm now uh, whispering on, uh, so I will finish there. And uh, yes, I'll finish there. And now. As I finish there, uh, now we embark upon the back and forth. So uh, I will. So now we can just uh, discuss between each other, um, kind of informally, um, have a back and forth, and uh, for about half an hour. And I will shut up now and let you speak. Okay. Um, yeah. So to to start this back and forth. Um, yeah, to start this back and forth, uh, to go to what uh, I'm going to start with, uh, or begin with, why, as far as I can tell, is your core argument about why America should have stayed in Afghanistan, which is um, the humanitarian uh, aspect of dynamic of it. And yeah, yes, you know, um, now that, you know, even before, you know, back even before 2000, 2001, um, when America first invaded and now America's left. Um, Afghanistan is an utter humanitarian, as you pointed out. I think I'm, I think I'm quoting you directly. Afghanistan is an utter humanitarian and financial collapse, and that's true. But this, that, as tragic as that is, as you know, as tragic as it is that you know um, Afghanistan. Is, is you know has very little money. The state has very little money, and that you know humanitarianly speaking, um, you know Afghanistan's in a very bad situation right now, um, with people starving and you know the Taliban implementing horrible human rights policies. That again, again, you know, going back to a point I've tried to make throughout, um, you know, this discussion so far is that that problem or that um, situation is not unique to Afghanistan. It's not even unique to the Middle East. It's widespread across the world. It's widespread across the Middle East. It's widespread across Okay, can I, can, I, can I address uh, that then? Yeah, uh, just uh, and so widespread across Africa um, and so so to uh, before, you know, back and forth, so just two quick questions or a quick point. So for me, it's in, therefore, as a result of that, it's inconceivable for me that that it could um, that this humanitarian aspect could be used to justify an indefinite conflict. And if you or other people are going to use the humanitarian or you know the financial um, situation that Afghanistan are in currently to justify to try and justify you know American troops on the ground, then why are you not? making you know are you then are you making the case for american troops on the ground in all these other you know impoverished countries in africa or in the middle east okay so i mean there are a few things i would like to say in response to that the first is simply that um to narrow the argument again the question isn't about philosophically or geopolitically whether the US should invade in every single instance of human rights abuse. We're talking specifically about whether the US should have left Afghanistan in 2021. Mm. So it doesn't really matter whether or not it's consistent 
to invade other places for the same reasons. All that matters is the US was there and should have left. Okay, so, okay, so, hmm. right, okay, so how I'm going to respond to that is, you yourself, in your, I believe in your opening statement, refer to yourself as an idealist. Now, the reason why I'm broadening it to all these other countries and making that this question quite broad in terms of the humanitarian dynamic is of this debate is because surely if you're an idealist, then or you you know you you have this very if you have this Wilsonian approach to foreign policy, then you you'd want it's be consistent you'd say okay in every situation where people there's humanitarian crisis or in every situation where there's human rights abuses um american forces or british forces should get involved and intervene um that's surely you know core what is one of the core aspects of being an idealist also just before you respond to that um yeah, you know, to carry just to carry on from that is that you know quickly is that you, you know you said it, I think you said I'm I'm uh, forgive me I'm not quoting you directly here but I think you said it's not you know it doesn't have to be consistent um you know with each situation well that you know that argument about yeah our foreign policy or our approach to different situations doesn't have to be consistent is an argument which you know a realist foreign policy maker would make not an well, idea I didn't, I didn't i didn't say that it's an, i was simply saying that um in terms of this specific argument about the u.s withdrawing in 2021 does it doesn't matter because that's not part of the question yeah um, but, mm, okay that's all i was saying i wasn't saying that we shouldn't be consistent i was right. saying that in, ter- in terms of this specific question it's irrelevant yeah okay fair enough Okay, so but, but as 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 far as it goes, yes, I would say we should be <laughs> relatively consistent um, in po- foreign policy, and that doesn't always mean um, invading every bad country. Um, you know, the reason the invasion of Afghanistan happened wasn't because it was a bad place in the first instance; it was because they refused to give up Bin Laden. Um, that was the primary reason for going into Afghanistan in the first place. So it's not necessarily just about humanitarian ideas, it's about, um, you know, the specific context of these things. So in that, in the Afghanistan context, that was the only way um, to, um, you know, get Bin Laden, essentially, or to to crush Al-Qaeda. Yeah, okay, so... Wait, wait, wait. um, Yeah, um, yeah, continue. in In other situations where I believe, I believe that we should be consistent is simply in supporting um, ideas of democracy and human rights. That does not mean always invading places. Uh, that could mean, for example, in in the 1990s in Bosnia and Kosovo, it didn't mean invading, it simply meant um, using or threatening some force and using some air power uh, to push back the uh, genocidal Serbian forces. You know, in Iraq in the 1990s also, it didn't mean invading Iraq, it just meant putting a no-fly zone over the south and the north to protect the targets of Saddam Hussein's uh, genocidal rage. So the consistency doesn't come in terms of the actions 
exactly. It comes in the motivation. The motivation should always be we should protect democracy and human rights and we should try and use whatever tool is best suited to a particular situation to achieve um, the aim of defending those things. So it's not always invade or regime change or nation build. It can be um, completely uh, different actions with much less investment. Um, it's simply that they should all be guided by that overarching principle, depending on the situation in question. Right. Okay. So, yeah. To uh, yeah. Of course. Um, to go back to one of the things you said. Of course, the reason. Also, why... I would say sorry. Just to just to, I wanted <laughs> to say rather than Wilsonian, I would prefer Jeffersonian. Um, okay. Um, realism. Right. Okay. Um, so, again, of course, to, um, to, you know, I take the point that, of course, the reason why America and Britain got involved in Afghanistan in the first place was not was to get Osama bin Laden and was for strategic objectives, not because of humanitarian uh, that reasons. But the reason just, and again, I, again, I take your point that, you know, we're talking about Afghanistan here, so uh, you know, maybe narrow it down a bit. So I'll take that point, but just quickly um, to, to, to maybe make you and the listeners understand why I was going down that route is because, again, from what I can understand, the primary reason why you think that America should stay in Afghanistan is humanitarian. So that's why I went down that route. But we'll narrow it down um, to, um, you know, narrow it down more to Afghanistan. Uh, take that point. Um, so, yeah. You know, we've got again. I'm narrowing this down to Afghanistan here. You know, can you justify? I, I don't personally feel you can justify sending American troops or any British troops to their death in an indefinite humanitarian conflict. I think it has to be strategic. I think I don't think. I think, quite frankly, if if it's not for strategic reasons and if it's prolonged, then people will start questioning why they're there, why the troops are there, and why, you know, why, um, you know, why American troops are dying. If it's not for strategic reasons, if it's not for a tangible strategic reason, people will start questioning why American troops are dying 3,000 miles away. Um, you know, well, it's probably more than that from, you know, America. And to carry on and to to um, follow up on that point, oh, the point I've just made, and also to follow up on what you said in your rebuttal about Trump, you said, uh, I think you said that, and I think I'm quoting you directly, you said Trump wanted to leave Afghanistan. Uh, he said that very, uh, very, you know, uh, up, you know uh, up front and very forthrightly, he wanted to leave. Well, actually, you know what, actually, it's probably the, one of the rare occasions where Trump actually spoke for the majority of the American public because in a Chicago Council poll, and for people, I'm sure Daniel's familiar with Chicago Council, but for those who are not, Chicago Council is one of uh, America's biggest think tanks, especially in, in terms of foreign policy. It's very prestigious and very well thought of. In a Chicago Council poll, it said that 70% of Americans support the decision to withdraw US troops by September 11th, 2021. 70% of Americans supported that. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I'm simply saying so, that you, so, you so it's not, perhaps so, too much focused on President Biden as the responsible person there. Um, you know, I think they're both very culpable. Biden more so because it actually happened under him. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying um, that uh, Trump uh, wasn't acting in accordance with whatever popular wishes there may have been. I'm simply saying that he was equally responsible for the withdrawal. Or not, not quite equally, but yeah. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make is this: that this indefinite, you, you, you know, you said in your opening statement, and then in your bottle, you, you like you think America should stay indefinitely until you know the 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 Democratic government should have uh, until the Democratic government um, was stable and uh, was functional and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, yeah, I didn't say that. Okay, sorry. Sorry, uh, yeah, until until indefinitely until, yeah. But I I I don't see how that would have been sustainable because of the. I, I just feel like Amer the American people and British people as well were exhausted and were fed up with the war, and I I just yeah I think it's very unfair to or you know unreasonable for that. For America to stay in the conflict, even if it's only a couple of thousand troops, when people back home in America and here in Britain were like, when is this war going to end? We've been there for 19, 20 years now. Is it too unreasonable to say, to draw that that proverbial line, say enough's enough and come and bring our boys home and girls home as well? I, I just think that's that needs to be brought into the equation. There. No, I, I, I mean, I think that's a valid point. Um, though I think to an extent it's a bit self-centred um, because the Afghans died in much greater numbers than Western troops uh, for the past few years. Um, but e even Western troops, you know, the, the fatalities number, I think it averaged something in the low, in the low double digit, in the low double digits since 2015. You know, so for the past for the final six years of the intervention, the the casualties were very low for US and Western troops. Um, that's why I said, um, even, even if all that happened was simply that this tiny force remained in Afghanistan, it would have been a tiny expenditure in money and lives. And uh, I think that would have been worth it, ultimately because... Um, about 73% of veterans, US veterans from the Afghan war, uh, felt betrayed by the withdrawal. Mm. Um, so it's not simply to be callous about the sacrifices that those people made. Um, you know, it's actually to accept that they were willing to, to pay that price. And in the latter years of the war, it was a very small price relative to uh, to other conflicts and to what come before. Yeah. And yeah, yeah sorry, continue. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think, you know, clearly a lot of veterans would have been willing to say, actually, yeah, let's keep going. Um, you know, it's worth it. You know, let's not abandon our friends in Afghanistan to slaughter. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. So uh, again, I'm just, uh, I'm trying not I'm trying to be very careful because I don't I do not want to misrepresent you here or misrepresent your argument. But um, 
you, you, you know, when the argument I just made prior to your response about, um, you know, people being tired, exhausted of war, and it's a bit, you know, people people not wanting their, you know, children and, and to continue dying three thousand miles away and wondering when they'll come home. Um, you, you know, I think your response was, I can understand that, but I think it's a bit selfish and from from the American public in that respect. But and in, in and the Afghanistan soldiers and Afghanistan people died in much high numbers, and of course they did. And yes, that's that's true. But let me let me just interject. Yeah. When I was saying. I said self-centered, not selfish. No, self-centered, okay. When I was saying that, I was saying that in 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 terms, in relative terms, compared to the sacrifices that the Afghan people have. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, but my response to that would be, well, the yeah, yes, of course, everyone, you know, everyone should care about you know the suffering that go, goes on throughout the world, but. I think people's, I think generally speaking, people's first priority or first thought is, or the people that they care the most about is the their sons, their daughters, their countrymen, their their, patri- their compatriots. And so, yes, there's suff- there was suffering. Yes, probably, yeah, well, yes, definitely in high numbers, people died in Afghanistan's died than Americans. But the American people's priority and which people's Brits. British people's priority is their own people. Um, and also, you know, in terms of the government, President Biden and, you know, the Prime Minister who, at the time, um, who was it, Boris Johnson, I think. So it's very difficult to keep track of who the <laughs> bleeding Prime Minister of Britain is um, nowadays. Um, I think it was Boris Johnson at the time there. Um, you know, their first priority or their, their first responsibility is looking after the, the, the British and American people respectively um, and you know following their wishes and not ne- and set necess- and necessarily speaking it's other people's suffering other people's wishes should come secondary to them and the reason that is because they're Prime Minister and President of American Britain you know they're elected by the American British public um, so that's what I'd say to that. I, I just it may yeah. come, it may come primarily most of the time, but when you have been, you know, the military backing of a government for twenty years, then I don't think it does come uh, secondarily. You know, yeah, you're 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 elected by a particular demos, but uh, actually, I think your moral obligations extend far beyond that narrow conception. Yeah. And, okay. and I think, yeah. again, I, 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 I repeat, about 73% of veterans, US veterans, uh, felt betrayed. Now, that's not, you know, these are people who were there. Uh, you know, those those people who were there, you know, felt disgusted by the withdrawal. Mm. Um, and, you know, they, they are an important constituency to consider. Yeah. So I feel like you're, you're, you're I mean, your argument there essentially is that government should obey whatever is popular at any given moment. <laughs> now, to an extent, that's true because a government should be elected by the popular will of the people. 
But that doesn't mean that in every instance, a government's actions has to cohere with, uh, you know, the, the popular will of the people as expressed at any given moment. You know, when I, I mean, the classic example, of course, is, is civil rights in the US. Um, you know, if, if, if the US government had obeyed that, they wouldn't have sent federal forces to ensure um, that, uh, you know, black kids could attend school with white kids. You know, so it's, it's not necessarily about, you know, the government doesn't represent what is desired by the people at any given moment. It has been elected by the people and will suffer the consequences of the people's judgments upon their actions. But that doesn't mean that at every single moment or every single in every single action they take, that they are beholden to um, whatever whatever happens to be the, the popular opinion at the time. Mm, yeah, okay. So we're, I, we're, I think we're a bit of a, uh, forgive us um, to the listeners, because I think we're maybe a bit of the risk of going down a different route entirely to Afghanistan, <laughs> to talking about Afghanistan. But I, I would say, just to quickly simply round it up, uh, I'd say I disagree. I think, generally speaking, I disagree. I think governments should um, listen to what the majority of the people are saying and not divert from that. But uh, as I say, we, oh, we so, made so, uh, of... so like, say on, 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 say yesterday, yeah, that was taken, said uh, we should have stayed in Afghanistan. 51% of people said that. And then today... 49% of people said that, and therefore 51% said we should leave. Um, does that mean the government should, you know, withdraw and then return and then withdraw every day, depending on the arbitrariness of the polling, depending on what public opinion, according to the polls, which are questionable in themselves, might say at any given moment? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, take, I take your point, but I, I just think it's very dangerous uh dangerous or we're not maybe dangerous is the wrong word but it's it's i I just don't think it's wise uh, for a government to just do yeah again we we may be going down a different route here ladies and gentlemen so um i'll try and move us back to afghanistan most directly back to afghanistan but um yeah I, i just don't think it's necessarily wise for the for governments who are elected in America, in Britain, for instance, by majority, like we have the first passport post system, to um, to to only do what like to do what nobody in the country wants them to do, basically. But again, we 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 you know we we're um, moving off Afghanistan, so let me try and bring us more back to Afghanistan more directly here. Um, and your point about Al Qaeda, Daniel, um, which you talked to me about, um, well, well, actually, which you were responding to my point about Al Qaeda, um, and no, so I, I, I take, um, I, I would, yeah, t- maybe take exception to your uh, to your point that, well, your interpretation of what I was saying that your, I think you interpreted what I was saying about Al Qaeda is that. Um, you know, Al Qaeda was not like it was not a threat. Um, you know, just because you know they were in Pakistan, and it's not necessarily that they were not. It's not that they were not a threat. It's just that America simply and Britain could simply could not destroy Afghanistan, um, 
Al-Qaeda or the Taliban while they're in Pakistan. For the reasons I explained earlier, you know, uh, um, uh, Pakistan is ostensibly an ally of Britain and America. Um, now, that's, I say ostensibly because, um, you know, there's, you know, there's a long history and long um, intelligent, you know, intelligence support sort of, you know, Pakistan withholding information about um, information from the allies from Britain and America about the Taliban or Al Qaeda, but ostensibly they are our our ally and they have nuclear weapons and they're close to China. Um, you know, Pakistan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Pakistan were giving Al Qaeda and the Taliban safe haven, and they were by helping them by the time. You know, and, and yes, by you know America being in Afghanistan, it meant that you know. The Taliban did not have safe haven in Afghanistan. The Al Qaeda did not have safe haven in Afghanistan. But they were buying the time, and no matter how long, no matter how long America stayed in Afghanistan, America would never destroy the Taliban or Al Qaeda. That's just, a, in my opinion, that's just a fact. And so they were just been buying the time, and eventually, when America eventually did decide to, to withdraw. Um, they would just come, you know, come swarming in again, or they would have got to such a point with the Pakistan government's backing that, you know, they would have pushed into Afghanistan, even with American troops there. Um, yeah, and I think, again, I don't want to misrepresent your argument here, Daniel, but you said something along the lines of, it's, it, you know, even if they are, they are in Pakistan, it's better for them to um, disappear and be on the run. Um, than to, 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 you know, be in Afghanistan and have, you know, a nation state behind them, even, you know, the, the power and the um, mechanisms of a nation state behind them, even a, even a very impoverished nation state like Afghanistan. Well, yeah, well, here's the thing. We're, I, I would question whether they were actually on the run, given, again, alluding to the amount of terror attacks that... Um, you know, the West and Europe and America experienced during this period, even though America were in Afghanistan, I question whether the Taliban and Al-Qaeda were really on the run uh, in that respect. Can I... Um, and just final point is this. Yeah, you. yes, of, yeah, of course, um, you're right to point out the, you know, the, the issues um, currently um, between the Taliban and, the pa and Pakistan. But one of the reasons why, you know, Pakistan, it, you know, there were a few reasons why Pakistan helped out the Taliban. One of the reasons is that, and I, and this is again the many intelligence um, sources that will back this up, is that there's there are aspects of, um, you know, there are parts of the Pakistan government which are very sympathetic to the Taliban even to this day, just like. There are many, um, there are many parts of the Saudi Arabian government that are sympathetic to Al Qaeda. So that's one of the reasons. The other reason is because they did not want two hostile powers, India, on what into the northeast, and Afghanistan, um, an Afghanistan ally to America, on their west western border. Um, so that's one of the reasons why they supported the Taliban. And now that that obstacle has been removed, there's not well now. Meg's withdrawn, um, and 
Pakistan have more support from China, yeah, there's less, in my opinion, there's less of a need for Pakistan and the Taliban to be so close. Um, and yeah, you know, regarding the nation spot, again, this is my last point. I know, I appreciate, I've, you know, this is meant to be back and forth and I've gone on for a bit. This is my last point regarding this. Um, Iran, you know, you mentioned that, you know, now they have, um, now that America have withdrawn from Afghanistan and the Taliban and Al-Qaeda back in Kabul, the Al-Qaeda have a nation state behind them to, um, to help them sponsor terrorism, even a, you know, a very poor nation state. Well, you know, again, yeah, in my opinion, it's not, it, yes, it's unfortunate, yes, it's not ideal, but there's other nation states in the Middle East that sponsor terrorism, such as Iran, um, you know, and it is, you know, and uh, granted, one of the reasons why America hasn't invaded Iran because Iran is suspected of having nuclear weapons, but um, well, you yeah. know, you know that I'm not, um, I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not supporting Iran here. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I'm just you know very well that I'm. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know very well you would never support Iran uh, for, for, for many reasons, but yeah, I, I just think it's, yeah, I, I just, yeah, it's not, it's not. Of course, it's not great that, you know, Afghanistan or, you know, the Afghanistan government, the Taliban government is watching terrorism. But mm, it's question. Yeah, I mean, okay, so here, here's, okay, so in the 1990s, nobody would have thought, least of all the CIA, thought <laughs> that, um, uh, that, you know, they thought, okay, so Al-Qaeda... You know, it's you know the Afghans, the Taliban, they're hosting Al Qaeda. It's not really a threat. They might be able to pull off a few attacks, uh, blow up a few embassies, and so on. Um, but you know, they're not really a massive threat. And then nine eleven happened. Mm. And nobody would have thought that. Mm. And we're now in exactly the same situation. We're now in a situation where Al Qaeda is now. Um, able to openly operate in Afghanistan once again, and so I think it's I think it's very short sighted to say that um, you know this is uh, an equal threat uh, compared to other places. It's uh, you know because because we know what's happened, we know what has already happened when Al when Al Qaeda and the Taliban were mm -hmm. in cahoots, and when Al Qaeda had that place that base to operate from. Um, uh, you know, I just do not think that that can be underestimated. In okay, fact, I don't can't... overestimated. Um, <laughs> um, now, when it comes to Saudi Arabia and Pakistan, well, actually, as it happens, and uh, actually, I think uh, I think I'm actually a bit more consistent here. I would say that we should not be um, supporters of uh, Pakistan or Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, those are you know, Saudi Arabia, I mean, for one, I mean, I think that's one of the great flaws of American foreign policy for the past 20 years has been to remain kind of friendly with Saudi Arabia, which is, you know, one of the, the great sponsors of Wahhabism, um, which, you know, is one of the main influences on jihadism. Um, you know, uh, you know, they, they've, they've funded madrasas throughout the world, which promote this ideology of um, 
Islamic um, supremacism. Uh, so, you know, yeah, no, I completely agree that that's a massive, it's a great blind spot and hypocrisy and complete. Actually, I would say it's a really stupid thing to have done is to have stood by Saudi Arabia. And of course, the reason it's, it's, it happened is because of oil. Um, whereas I would, and again, this is the idealism coming out, I would say cut off Saudi Arabia, cut off Pakistan. Mm. Uh, you know, these, these, you know, these are countries that are not worth um, being friends with. Um, yes, no, I, I agree that uh, let's have a bit more consistency when it comes to, to these places. Um, but I don't really see what that's got to do with supporting a democratic government in Afghanistan. Okay, yeah, so, um, yeah, so... That's okay. definitely preferable to a government that is uh, theocratic and hostile and hosting, uh, you know, the, the, <laughs> you know, the greatest enemies uh, we've seen since the Cold War. Okay, yeah. Okay, so what it has to do with, um, I'll start off with your last point about Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. Um, yeah, what, yeah, what it has to do with um, Afghanistan is that, sorry, what it has to do with Afghanistan is that, how shall we just, is that, In terms of you know in, in, in Pakistan more directly has what is uh, relates to the conversation we're having about Afghanistan because what I'm saying is what I'm trying to argue is that because Pakistan and many many aspects of many parts of the Pakistan government supported and to this day still support the Taliban it would have been impossible to completely destroy Al Qaeda completely destroy the Taliban and therefore when you know you're even using your argument which is that you know, stay in Afghanistan definitely, um, we, even with a couple of thousand troops, uh, even when using that argument, when American troops eventually withdraw, you know, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda would be, you know, flourishing, being protected in Pakistan, preparing in Pakistan, and then just surged into Afghanistan. So it would, in my opinion, no matter how, because of, because of that, because of the support from the Pac- from many parts of the Pakistan government towards Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, it would have made no difference how long um, America stayed in Afghanistan. Um, to, Wait, hang on, hang on, no difference? Yeah, I, 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 yeah no difference. I, I don't think it would have made a difference um, to, to America or Britain's security, um, to the stability of the Afghan government. I don't think it would have made any difference, to be perfectly honest with you. Okay, so in 2001... Yeah. Yes. Overthrew the Taliban. Yeah. And uh, essentially destroyed for a while Al Qaeda and the Taliban. Yeah. And you know I've already said that they were overconfident. They made mistakes in that conflict. Um, yeah. But I'm sorry, I cannot sorry, see yeah, can how it yeah. could possibly be said that an imperfect, however imperfect, Afghan democratic government is not better for the Afghan people and for everyone else on the planet. Okay. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, even, yeah. even again, even if even if one has to stay there indefinitely, 
okay, that would be worth it because otherwise you're saying that, okay, the Taliban should have been allowed to take over earlier and Al-Qaeda should have been allowed to return earlier and be given this base from which to launch its own, you know, it's a global jihad again. You know, personally, I think it's preferable that... um, uh, that that you know that situation should not have been allowed to happen. That... Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I, I I think forgive me, Daniel, but I think my what you're trying to say about you know after American invasion two thousand one and then you know two thousand five two thousand six the uh, Taliban you know surged in and I think they did retake the ball. Forgive me. I think they did um, in two thousand five two thousand six. No, 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 they didn't. No. Oh, they they nearly did. I think they think I think they reached a few about fifty miles outside the ball. Um, yeah, that. No, they only, that. they only they only took Kabul in in uh, twenty one. Okay, yeah. So, but I think I believe I believe they did. You know, in two thousand five, two thousand six, they did make pretty good progress, and they did get quite near Kabul. Um, but that, in my opinion, proves my point because. Yes, America invaded in 2001, and, you know, with the help of the Americans, a democratic or, you know, a loosely democratic government was formed. But because they, because the Taliban and Al-Qaeda had managed to, uh, had been able to sneak across the very porous Afghanistan-Pakistani border into Pakistan and get the support of the Pakistan, many aspects of the Pakistani government, they were then able, you know, to to then you know surge in um, to Afghanistan, you know, un, you know, unexpectedly, you know, three or four years later. So that that, in my opinion, increased my point because even if America had stayed in Afghanistan indefinitely, when America eventually withdrew, the same would have happened again because they would have been having. Well, that's not, I mean, okay, so so you know when you when you're saying. I mean, when I'm saying indefinitely, okay. So let's say, let's say, okay. So let's take this, uh, you know, in the most pessimistic way. If America stayed for another fifty years, and if during those fifty years it prevented the resurgence of the Taliban and Al Qaeda, would that not be better than leaving the Taliban in power and Al Qaeda to be their guests? For fifty years, yeah. so yes, maybe, maybe even on the worst scenario, maybe eventually that would have happened. But even delaying that scenario is better than allowing it to go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So and that's that's even that's even discounting um, the possibility that actually things could have been different. And I do think that potentially they could have turned out different um, if, if uh, you know, many if, if America had learned from the very many mistakes that it made during the 20 years that it was there. Right. Okay. But even discounting yeah. that, it just, it would have just have been better for every, everyone mm-hmm. on the planet <laughs> to, right. to say that, um, you know, to have, to have that force there to prevent this resurgence from happening, even if it was only temporary, because temporary can mean 50 odd years. Okay. 
I, I would rather I'd rather Al Qaeda not be a threat for fifty years. Mm. Okay, so, yeah. threat, you know, um, you know, yeah. one was more certain than the other. Yeah. So, so, so I didn't mean to keep it. I didn't mean to keep in touch on that. Um, if if I was, um, right. Okay. So, to respond quickly to that, um, or to try to, I, I, I don't think, you know, um, I, again, I make this point and I stand by it because I, I I'd, I'd like to make three very, three very quick points about what you just said about even if America stayed in for like 50 years, um, let's say hypothetically. Um, number one is I, I don't, even if America stayed in for another 50 years, I don't think, um, as I've tried to say, I don't think in this, throughout this debate, I don't think that would have stopped the resurgence of Al-Qaeda uh, because as we've seen throughout the 20 years that America went in, um, Afghanistan, there have been many, many terrorist attacks from Al-Qaeda and Al-Qaeda-inspired terrorists in Europe and America. So I, I think that's yeah, a, a bit a bit mis, misplaced um, belief. That's a bit of misplaced belief. Secondly, I think, again, again going back to, you know, the, the public reaction, I think, you know, it, it would have been very... Um, you know, it, it, it would be very unsustainable and very um, infeasible, infeasible, excuse me, for America to stay in Afghanistan for another 50 years, because I think even if you're only using 2,000 troops, I don't think the American public or the British public would stand for that. Then going on to, and this is the most important point uh, that I'm trying to make in response, to, I'm going to make in response to your um, assertion just then, is that, and uh, forgive me, late Daniel and ladies and gentlemen listening to this, forgive me for a minute, a minute because I'm going to go a bit, um, stray, a bit uh, stray a bit away from Afghanistan here and talk and refer to Japan and Germany. Now, not, I, I'm not going to assume anything, Daniel, but uh, in terms of your argument, but many people um, who, who are in favour of, or who, who were and still are in favour of America staying, uh, of America being in Afghanistan, indefinitely refer to what America did in post-war Germany and post-war Japan. Um, but the, the difference is that is, the difference between that those situations are, is that even 1940, and this is going to be very, um, make come across as very crude, but in my opinion it's true. 1945 Japan, 1945 Germany are way more advanced than 2021 Afghanistan. Um, you know, way more prosperous um so there's a different dynamic there and also they had all the mechanisms um to you know to really rejuvenate the countries and move past the horrific uh, few years they had um they had had so and and the and especially in Nazi Germany where you know the the, the public had suffered uh, horrific um horrifically under the Nazi regime people were very eager to move on from that past and form a democratic uh, country and democratic future. So I think it's very, again, I'm not saying necessarily you're going to make this argument because I don't know whether you will, but the people who, the people who do make this argument, I think that is misplaced in many respects. And I think that's um, a misguided argument. Then again, to go back to 
your um you know when you were talking about when you were rebutting what i was saying about pakistan and saudi arabia you said um you know i think you said if it were up to you you cut off pakistan and saudi arabia again this is strain a bit thought a bit um well quite a bit from the territory of afghanistan but i feel like the danger of doing that is especially with saudi arabia if we were to cut off, off saudi arabia and not engage with saudi arabia there's a big risk that um the government would be toppled and an even worse government government or regime would take over um so that's a big risk uh, in my opinion for that Wait, um, I just I just have to interject there because we say we say uh, you know what what would the risk be of a Saudi government without uh, without the US and yeah we we've seen we've seen what uh, Western and US support um, has wrought because of its uh, support of the Saudi government and the Saudi theocracy and dictatorship yeah um, yeah, you know, yeah. They, they they are one of the primary uh, sponsors of jihadism throughout the world. I, I, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Completely. I, I, I think I would rather take my chances without them. Than... Okay, yeah. So again, I completely agree with you. I'm no fan of Saudi government, for the record, but for many reasons. Um, and you are right that there are parts of the Saudi government that sponsor terrorism, but there are also parts of the Saudi government that do not. And my worry is, again, I appreciate, ladies and gentlemen, we are Australian from Afghanistan, uh, so I will quickly round this up and then try and get back to Afghanistan but my point, my worry is that if we were to not engage with Afghanistan uh, not to get, not to engage with Saudi Arabia then this government would be toppled and a caliphate um, similar to ISIS would form and that would, and they would have control of like I think it's one quarter of the world's oil reserves so that is not um, the prospect that I look forward to or I think is good Um then well, let, got... let, me, let me say in response to that, I mean, you're making a, a sort of realist argument for my side, in a way, because you're saying, I mean, wouldn't it have been better to have remained in Afghanistan with a West, a roughly Western-friendly Afghan government? Um, um... You know, whereas now, now we have, you know, a pretty hostile government, which is, you know, in a pretty important, set, you know, Afghanistan is a pretty important um, route between uh, Central Asia and South Asia, uh, okay. you know, and you know China's investment, and uh, you know there are so many. I mean, and there's still quite a lot of untapped mineral resources in Afghanistan, and now it's just all been left hmm. to uh, to to you know China and whoever else might be interested. Uh, before at least uh, there was a chance that we could have been beneficiaries of that and actually I would like to say lest anyone misunderstand me I'm not that's not really my primary motivation yeah um I don't really care about that as much as I care about the human rights aspect but I think even on the realist aspect I think by abandoning Afghanistan you've simply uh, given over a, a you know a very important waypoint um uh, to uh, uh, Western adversaries, and I don't think that's a good move. Okay. If you think Saudi Arabia shouldn't be allowed to to uh, you know fall into such hands, then I don't think you can support Afghanistan being allowed to fall into those hands either. Okay. So the difference is, in my opinion, the difference is that the yeah. So the difference in that respect is that. 
in my opinion, the Saudi government, there's less chance if America was to withdraw or disengage from Saudi Arabia, there's less chance of that happening because the Saudi Arabian government is much more stable um, than the Afghanistan government was. So the, even though I do believe there is a chance that if America were to withdraw, uh, you know, disengage from Saudi Arabia, there is a, there is a chance that, you know, a conflict may take over. There is much less of a chance for that happening in Saudi Arabia because the Saudi Arabian government is much more stable and much less reliant on America than the Afghanistan government was. Now, to um, to go back to um, you know one of your points you made earlier about um, pre pre nine eleven. Uh, again, I'm I, I'm trying not to misrepresent or misquote you, but. I think one of your argument was that pre nine eleven, um, many people would not have thought, you know, in the nineteen nineties, for instance, many people not really have thought of Al Qaeda as being either either they had not never heard of Al Qaeda or they did, would not have never thought Al Qaeda would be a big threat to the U.S. homeland, um, and no one would have thought that you know they could achieve or could pull off what they did on 9-11. Um, I, I, again, I would say that that's a misguided argument. Again, if you read The Lumen Tower, um, a book, there's a TV series on Amazon and there's a book uh, called The Lumen Tower um, by, yeah, okay, so um, by Lawrence Wright, I believe it is. Um, you'll, you'll begin, ladies and gentlemen, you'll begin to understand that really the, the warning signs were there and people it was it, you know people and the american intelligence agencies could have seen what al-qaeda could achieve and would achieve was capable of but because of interagency um feuding and interagency tensions and quite frankly american american incompetence and complacency which is just chronic in the american government um they, they failed to realise, they failed to understand what a big threat the Al-Qaeda was. Um, and to, to quickly go back to your um, point about the, or your, your argument, which you may follow on from that, Daniel, that now that um, you know, America's left Afghanistan and Taliban are back in Afghanistan, ruling the government and controlling the government, and that, and that um, you know, Al-Qaeda now back in Kabul and, you know, seemingly ostensibly they're working together um and you know the taliban is, we must assume are helping to sponsor the al-qaeda you've kind of said that well this similar thing could happen now um you know now it has happened in 2001 well i i, I don't i don't know i in personally personally i think because we we have learned from 9 11 and learned from mistakes Leading up to 9/11, which and the mistakes of people who are wondering are detailed in um, the Lumen Tower, which is a brilliant book. I suggest you read it because I think America has and the world and Britain has learned from the mistakes leading up to 9/11, um, and the experience we've had in the last 20 years and the intelligence network we've we've um, we've developed and cultivated. I I don't I have much more confidence that we have the mechanisms in place to stop an attack like that happening now. So that's what I'd say to that. Well, perhaps, but I should 
like to say that uh, it's not me saying that. I'm simply quoting um, uh, intelligence estimates from uh, you know experts on the matter. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not simply speculating that Al Qaeda could um, conduct another operation of that level. Um, you know, uh, there are people who are far more who possess far more expertise than I do who would uh, say such a thing. Um, but yes, I mean, essentially, I would agree with you about. Uh, uh, although I, I'm not entirely sure that it's an argument against my position uh, that the US was spectacularly incompetent in the 90s, particularly when it came to the threat of Al Qaeda. I think. Uh, I think that's actually an argument in favour of of what I'm saying, which is, <laughs> you know, that these these people are very persistent and very, very persistent, very intelligent and very committed, and uh, we should not underestimate them. And yet now, by the withdrawal, the Afghanistan withdrawal, uh, you know, we have uh, given them much more freedom than they had before, which I think is a very dangerous thing uh, to have done. Um, and not just dangerous, though it certainly is, for the West or the US, but dangerous for for everyone uh, in the world, uh, including many, many Muslims who have no desire uh, to be told what to believe by such people. And yet we have now allowed them uh, this stage from which to conduct their operations and from which to spread their ideology. So the idea that the point, or rather the point that um, the US uh, underestimated them in the 1990s is, I think, a very good reason why <laughs> the US should have stayed in Afghanistan uh, in 2021 and beyond, rather than giving them back this gift um, of a stage from which to uh, spread their tentacles from. Yeah, and... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. So I I I can I kind of do take your point, but what I would say in response to that is, again, because of the allies, uh, you know, and we've cultivated lots of allies and um, you know the intelligence networks, that the intelligence apparatus, and because of the fact that, um, quite frankly for the past 20 years, American foreign policy in particular has been, um, you know, designed to combat Islamic terrorism, even to, even to the point that America and Britain have become uh, completely complacent over the threat that Russia posed and China posed as well. Um, so because of how, for the past 20 years, American foreign policy and British foreign policy has been tailored towards combating uh, and um, stifling the, you know, the Islamic terror threat, then, you know, is, I think, I think we are in a much better place than, a hell of a lot better place, in fact, than we were pre-9-11 to stop another 9-11 happening now that we have withdrawn from Afghanistan. Um, so that's what I'd say to that. Um, yeah, Daniel. Uh, sorry, if we yeah, if, if we want to cut yeah, probably cut this bit um, the bit now. Um, so, do you want to do uh, closing arguments? Do you want to continue the back and forth? Uh, 
Well, it's entirely up to you, though I do think we should probably head towards a little closing statements pretty soon. But please. Yeah, um, yeah so, um, yeah, how about we do closing statements? Okay. Perfect. Um, yeah, so, na- so yeah, um, as I say, cool. So, so let me, let me. Um, so, <laughs> now we're going to move on to closing statements. No, uh, yeah, no. I think we have uh, we have we have uh, gone on uh, for quite a while, and no doubt there is much else that we could um, uh, discuss and debate uh, on Afghanistan in uh, particular, but also many other uh, related subjects. Mm. But I think it's a good time to move on to make some closing comments. Uh, so. Up to five minutes each to, to make some closing comments. I think that's a good, yeah. good way to finish off. Yeah. So um, now I can't quite remember the order. Uh, so uh, it's entirely up to you. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I'll go first, yeah. All right, take it away. Okay, so uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, as Daniel has explained, um, you know, and... As you can, you've probably listened to for the past two hours. Um, we could probably have this discussion, keep discussing this for another hour. That's how complex and how um, you know contentious in many respects this this topic is. And as I, as I said at the very beginning um, of you know the, this debate, my opening statement, we come from very different schools of thought in the sense that I'm an idealist um sorry I'm a realist and Daniel's a self-invested idealist um so it's that it was very unlikely that our arguments would we would ever be able to reconcile our arguments um but I hope that everyone's enjoyed it um what I would say to close off is that, that to close off this debate from my side is that I, I feel that basically it's America, America interests to withdraw and that, you know, basically, and that, you know, we could never have beaten the Taliban or Al-Qaeda. The proof is in the pudding. We were there in Afghanistan for 20 years and the Taliban was still alive and well, still flourishing in Pakistan. And we could not beat them because they were in Pakistan. And we cannot stop them from being in Pakistan or impact them being in Pakistan for the reasons that I've explained um, during this debate. Um, So it was, and, you know, again, the safe haven idea of of America um, withdrawn from Afghanistan, therefore giving um, Taliban and Al-Qaeda a safe haven, in my opinion, doesn't really hold water, given that for the past 20 years, while America's been in Afghanistan, Al-Qaeda and Al-Qaeda-inspired terrorists have, have you know, killed and committed ter- terrorist attacks throughout uh, Europe, Britain and America. Um, it's, it is indefensible what 
it is, it is for the record, it is completely indefensible what Biden did in terms of how he withdrew. But he was, in many respects, doing what the American public wanted. And the American public are tired, were tired of the war. Um, and it, the fact is, I, to quote Mary Bird, Mary Bird said um, once that Mary Bird's a famous Roman historian. Some, some people may wonder why I'm bringing this up, but Mary Bird said once that Britain was Rome's Afghanistan, in the sense that Rome, during, when Rome went at Britain, Rome could never subdue Britain. Rome could never get it under control. And the same goes for Afghanistan. And even though Rome were in Britain for, I think, 300 years, and the same goes for Afghanistan. It's, you know, a, quag a quagmire. You know, we did not understand why the, the, the intricacies of the country, and we were never, ever going to solve the situation, especially with all the ethnic conflicts, all the ethnic dimensions um, of the conflict which Britain and America did not understand and to this day arguably do not still do not understand. Um, yeah. Regarding, regarding um, the human rights, well, actually, quickly, I'll say this. One of the things that's actually been quite, personally speaking, quite amusing um, about this whole episode is that Again, this is me speaking generally, but many of the people, many liberals, many left-wing people who for many years, for centuries, have been very much anti-war, are now very much on the pro-war side of things um, and encouraging us to go into Afghanistan and encouraging, again, I think we've not, in, in terms of Ukraine, we've not really learned from you, from Afghanistan in terms of Ukraine. We, yes, we've not put boots on the ground, but you know, we've given Ukraine a black check and there's, if Biden gets his way, there's no end in sight to our involvement in the Ukraine war. So we've not really learned our lesson on that. Um, and, and in terms of Ukraine, it's much worse because Russia have nuclear weapons and they're dragging China in and it could become a much more global conflict. Now, going to, now going to the humanitarian aspect of, Daniel's argument, which may seem strange that it's coming last, um, considering that's one of his principal arguments, if not the principal argument for why he thinks Americans just stayed in Afghanistan. I, I just, um, the reason why it's coming last, or the reason why I'm addressing it last, because, because, is because due to our different ideologies, ideologies or different worldviews, that's not my primary argument for why America should have withdrawn, from why America was right to withdraw from Afghanistan. But to address Daniel's primary argument, I just don't think, again, that hold, holds water because, again, again, I know Daniel would say, take it case by case, or he may say, let's keep it specific to Afghanistan, but there, there are many issues throughout the world. There are many theocratic governments throughout the world. Um, and even though Daniel would prefer the term Jeffersonianism rather than Wilsonianism, Wilsonianism um, I think it's, you know, to 
go around and deal with all the world's problems and deal with all the world's human rights issues is infeasible and very well, he is an idealist, very idealistic. Um, and I do not think that dealing or addressing uh, or you know or stopping a theocracy from developing in Afghanistan is justification for prolonged or indefinite involvement in Afghanistan. I don't, I just don't think that's uh, personally justification enough justification uh, for that, especially considering all the other three theocracies in the Middle East. Um, so yeah, that I, that's my closing argument. I I believe it's in America's interest. To, it was in America's interest to withdraw. Yes, it was tragic. You know, the pictures were tragic, hundreds of percent, ten percent tragic pictures and harrowing. But you know, it's not different. It's not different to to any other to like, for instance, Saudi Arabia or Iraq. And you know, or you know, all these other or Qatar. So that's my argument. I don't, I don't think that the humanitarian aspect is good enough justification for us to be involved in Afghanistan indefinitely. And I'll hand over to Daniel for his closing argument. Well, <clears throat> when it comes to the ideological difference between us. I'm not quite sure that realism is particularly um, interesting when it comes to predicting what will happen or in terms of protecting human rights or in terms of uh, producing stability because yeah, realism, uh, you know, realism uh, is, is why Kissinger, uh, you know, committed God knows how many war crimes across the world. It's why he betrayed, he, he, he incited the Kurds to rise up in Iraq and uh, subsequently betrayed them and left them to be slaughtered. Realism is why... Saddam Hussein was left in power after the Gulf War. Realism is why the US supported Saddam Hussein during his war against Iran uh, and why they turned a blind eye to his genocidal attempts against the Shia and the Kurds. So personally, and uh, you know whatever, whatever else you might say about those things, uh, they weren't particularly conducive to stability. So realism, I think, fails on pretty much every level and very often um, is an excuse or a cover for uh, some of the very worst actions that can be undertaken by any government. Now, I want to get back to Afghanistan, but first, since Harry brought it up, um, when it comes to when it comes to Ukraine, um, let's talk about realism when it comes to Ukraine. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, the realists uh, predicted that after the Cold War, you know, with the, the collapse of the Soviet Union and the Soviet Empire, that Europe would degenerate completely into, into catastrophe and conflict. 
And, you know, that never happened. You know, it turned out that we didn't actually need to have some sort of counterbalancing power. That actually the ideas of democracy and coexistence were good enough in themselves to uh, sustain a civilization. And the realists would tell us that it was all NATO expansion, even though everywhere that Russia has, well, almost everywhere that Russia has committed atrocities is not a member of NATO. And quite a few of those places never had a prospect of becoming NATO members, vide Syria. So when it comes to realism, and common sense in international relations. I don't think Mearsheimer et al. have a leg to stand upon. Uh, Their predictions after the Cold War were completely incorrect, and their analysis of Russia's uh, reasons for invading Ukraine are also completely incorrect. And I don't, I don't believe that is a statement or an opinion on my part. I think that's a matter of record. But getting back to Afghanistan, now I'm sorry for that detour, but I had to, I had to have a dig at the um, opinions of uh, my dear friend Harry on Ukraine and the realists on Ukraine. Um, and also for what it's worth, I would say, um, yes, let's uh, let's let's keep supporting Ukraine till the very end. Um, I think it's much worse to have um, a nuclear power such as Russia being allowed to trample all over its smaller neighbours. I think that's much more dangerous to the world than to defeat them. I think they should be pushed back and defeated, and shown that they simply cannot get away with it. Um, Otherwise, we're simply saying that if you have nuclear weapons, you can invade and kill as much as you like. And I don't think that is a good arrangement um, to have. I don't think that that will bring peace. I don't think that will reduce the risk of nuclear war in the future if nuclear powers can be uh, allowed to get away with such flagrant abuses. I think that will increase the risk of nuclear war because they will continue to invade uh, other countries. They will continue to use their power to crush um, democracies or movements towards democracies. Uh, That's not a future I would like to have. And I think it's a future that is much more likely to produce nuclear conflict than otherwise. But to get back to Afghanistan, as I said. <laughs> what was the alter <laughs> what was the alternative? Well, I mean, there really were only two alternatives. There was leave or stay. And we've seen what has happened by leaving. We've seen it. We have seen Al-Qaeda return. To, to the heartland of, of Afghanistan, where from which they launched the, the 9-11 attacks in 2001. We've seen that. You know, that's, that's what happened. It's not hypothetical. Al-Qaeda is now back in the same position, or almost the same position as it was 
pre 9-11. Or we could have stayed. And however imperfect our presence, uh, you know, however imperfect the government of Afghanistan was, however imperfect our presence was, it at the very least would have presented a possibility for a brighter future. At the very least, it would have prevented the return of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. And that's at the very least, at the very most, the most hopeful situation, perhaps eventually there could have been a free and democratic Afghanistan. And I would simply like to finish by saying that you should all look up the National Resistance Front of Afghanistan. Um, some people uh, disparage uh, the NRAF, which is the only Afghan resistance against the Taliban currently existing. Some people like to disparage it by saying uh, that it's too reliant on nostalgia for Ahmad Shah Massoud, the great Mujahideen leader who was assassinated by bin Laden a couple of days before 9-11. Um, some people like to say uh, that it's uh, too Tajik-centred. Um, you know, so, you know, a lot of people like to sneer at this resistance. But actually, they are very brave and committed, and they have a very inspiring political programme, which is democratic, which is reasonably secular, which is committed to free speech, and which uh, is committed to rectifying the mistakes of the previous Afghan governments. Uh, you know, they want to have a federal structure for the Afghan government, rather than a centralised structure, which was one of the great flaws of the Karzai and Angani regimes. So I would recommend you look them up and give them your support and urge your legislators to support uh, those uh, brave fighters who are the only hope right now for a free Afghanistan. I'm done. Uh, yeah. So thank you, Daniel, for having me on the, your your first Daniel um, of the Dan debate. Um, yeah, it's been very um, invigorating and interesting debate. And yeah, thank you for having me on. I hope everyone who's listening has uh, been interested by it. Um, yeah, thank you for uh, volunteering to be my first victim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's been good it's been good um yeah so uh hopefully it's not the last debate den debate um but i very much enjoyed it so thank you harry you're welcome thank you daniel it's been a pleasure